This episode of the podcast is on consensual dominance. My friend Omer Pani and I speak about power dynamics and as they relate to masculinity, which and I want to have this discussion because now especially there's many falsehoods being spread around power dynamics and masculinity, and it's causing individual men to suffer, relationships to suffer, and society to suffer. Whereas consensual power dynamics, consensual dominance as we define in the, the beginning of the episode is a masculine virtue. It's it's good for everyone. And the baby's being thrown out of the bath water, I think, in many of the cultural discussions. So we're going to jump right in. Just a couple of things. I originally recorded this for my men's mastermind. Um, so you'll hear me mention the Masculine Underground. It's a free Facebook group. If you want to join, um, just search for Masculine Underground on Facebook. It's a closed group. I hate to use the term safe space, but that's what it is, is a safe space for men to discuss these things that perhaps we don't normally feel safe uh, discussing or, um, you know, all these desires that we have. So you can check that out. You also check out Omar Pani's Facebook page for more discussions like this when I am on his show. And without further ado, you are listening to episode 030, Consensual Dominance with Om Rapani. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, Perpetual Orgasm, Infinite Play. Please subscribe on iTunes and enjoy the show. All right, jumping in. So uh, last time we were in person, um, we were speaking about something called topping, or you mentioned it a lot. Hold on, are you are you still there? It's uh, it's lagging. Just I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um. So so topping is something is a it's a verb that comes up all the time in your work in the DS world and things like that. But I think most people don't know what it means, even though most people know what uh, the idea of dominance. So I was wondering if we could we could start there and, and we'll go off on tangents as we always do, but. Um, I'd love to hear what your definition of topping is to begin with, because I think it does tie to masculinity so much. Uh, I think the the challenge with the definition and the challenge with uh, preconceived bad notions around topping or domination is, once again, this is something we cover in detail in the workshops, which is always a distinction between consensual domination and non-consensual domination. Mm-hmm. So usually when somebody says somebody's dominating or somebody topped somebody, it usually the colloquial understanding it is that there was one upmanship going on and somebody outdid somebody else. Somebody belittled somebody else, somebody came out on top of somebody else. It was like it was like a put down and one person got smaller and the other person got bigger. Which is the way uh conventionally people understand words like topping or dominating. But it is not the definition we work by we work by completely the opposite definition. This is, uh, so I don't know, that's a, that's a starting point. I don't know if you want to talk about that and we can take it from there. Yeah, well, I, I did want to jump a couple of steps ahead of that um, when it comes to male-specific stuff off of conversations we've had. But I guess to stick just so, so we're all on the same page, uh, so we're just going to rephrase what you said. Like, uh, to really top someone is, uh, when we're speaking about we're talking about in a consensual way. But actually what I think is interesting is, um, outside of like very explicit DS play, um, how topping happens consensually, but subconsciously throughout life. Like when someone follows a leader, works yeah. with a, you know. Absolutely, you know, any- to me, topping someone is handling them well. Mm-hmm. That's what top- topping is about serving somebody. So that's, I mean, you know, let's just, let's just say that upfront so people can really get a different notion. In non-consensual domination, non-consensual domination, the the person who's dominating wins and the person who got dominated loses. 
the person who is topping gains power and the person who got top loses power, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a smackdown. But that's not happy uh, consensual domination and submission is. Nobody would volunteer to partake mm -hmm. in it uh, unless, unless, they were, unless they were like really fighting to one-up somebody. So that is, that is not what I'm teaching. That is not what I, I feel. That kind of domination is actually absolutely poisonous to personal mm -hmm. relationships. One of the worst things I see couples doing these days, and I see women doing these more than men, is I see couples competing with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a tendency that is actually very, very destructive to intimate relationships. And at least mm -hmm. in the sphere I move in and the people I've coached, I feel the women are competing with their men. And the competition between men and women within the structure of an intimate relationship is absolutely disastrous. You cannot compete with your partner and expect this thing to work. You can't win over your partner thinking you've actually won. That's the most fucking moronic idea you can come up with, right? Yeah. Men understand this intuitively. Like if a man thinks he just won an argument for, with his girlfriend, and he's celebrating any other man next to him like, you are such a fucking asshole. You have no <laughs> idea what you're coming to. You think you actually want something by insulting your girlfriend or making her feel that you made her smaller? That's not going to work for even five minutes. You have no idea, right? We understand that. But I think, uh, not to beat up on women these days too much, but I think women have become so competitive. I think because the work environment has made them so much more competitive that they feel they're in a zero-sum game. And even in relationships, even in long-term relationships, especially in long-term relationships, I see women competing with their men over stupidest shit. Mm -hmm. Over the stupidest shit, like literally over laundry and dishes, thinking it's some kind of a power play, that we need to balance things perfectly. And if I get him to do more, I'm winning in the relationship. I'm like, you're not winning. You're corroding your relationship till it falls apart. That kind uh, of submission, submission one-upmanship, zero-sum game in a relationship absolutely does not work. Yeah, it's just me. I don't know if you agree with this on the polarity side. It's a, it's a very, it's like both people are trying to play male. And not to say that being a top is necessarily male, but it's something, it's like, that's one of the issues with, I think, the third wave of feminism right. of the fire with fire type thing. It's like, oh, it, it actually, I actually think it's anti-feminist at its root in that, like, it's like, uh, it's shaming of feminine ideals. It's like, it oh, let's, let's all play the masculine game. It truly is. And you know, there is, this is not just philosophy and ideology talking. We are not just talking out of our ass. There is like a lot of research to show women are paying a very heavy price for assuming those dominating stressful positions. Mm -hmm. I think there is one statistic, you can check this out, you can research this, but it's something to the equivalent of high-powered jobs like bankers and lawyers where they compete and they fight and they fight bonuses and they hold up their bonuses like their trophy. Men's hormonal levels actually move in positive direction when they do that kind of shit. When women yeah. engage in that kind of competition, their cortisol level like jumps up some ridiculous number. It's like 15 times their normal, which is extremely detrimental to their health. I may be wrong on the number. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but this research is out there that when men and women compete in exactly the same ways, when they engage in exactly the same aggressive behavior, men kind of feel I am in my turf. Well, women are actually paying a very heavy health cost, imbalanced cost in their system to burn the midnight oil and be that aggressive and be that competitive. It's really not great. Yeah.
Yeah, I want to go back to the philosophical stuff in a second, but one thing that's jumping out is that, um, and so when I first started playing with DS, like with you mainly or learning about it, I had this idea of like kind of gender neutral DS. Like there's tops, there's bottoms. I've gained a lot from playing in a submissive role as a man, you know, all that, all that stuff. And these are just tendencies. But then I was thinking about it because I've been talking to a lot of guys who can't get it up, for instance, if they feel emasculated or they, they can't feel aroused if they feel like the woman they're with is better than them or something like that. Um, but if they're in bed with a woman who they, for whatever reason, see as inferior, whether it's founded or not, they're totally fine. Their arousal is fine. And with women, it's the opposite. Like a woman will get totally aroused in the presence of a man they see as superior, but will not be able to get wet with a man who, even if he's great and he looks good and he's a really nice guy, just won't get aroused. And I was like, oh, this, this actually is a gendered thing. Well, well, I, I salute you for bringing this really charging topic <laughs> up front and center because I have made the same observation. I have observed this uh, personally. I've observed this in many conversations with women. This, you know, one of the most almost like poetic justice way this thing shows up is when a really beautiful man shows up. I've had this experience because I've been a photographer and I've done writing and I've done directing. So I've dealt with a lot of beautiful people. You know what I mean? And me being me, I study everyone. I've been around models and I've been around a lot of actors. So I've had the opportunity to observe really good looking people, people who are made for the camera, come, come into a room, interact with each other and then observe what happens in their dynamics. And what you just mentioned, this is what I've observed. I've had beautiful men walk through the room, men who are actors, men who are made for the camera, beautiful chiseled face, face that belongs in a, in a, like a Ralph Lauren ad or something. But their self-esteem is low. They're very unsure of themselves, and they're basically putting out a really beta vibe for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're not embodying that I am hot shit. They're really embodying like, poor little me. I am uh, full of flaws and insecurities. And uh, I have seen women's estimate of those men plummet from the moment they saw the guy walk to the door like, oh, my God, who's that? Do 10-minute conversation with them, and I can see that women's face falling like, oh, shit. This guy is really drying me up. There is no way I want to fuck this. <laughs> right? And the guy's just as beautiful 10 minutes later. And I've talked to these women afterwards. They're like, it is such a fucking turn off. Oh my God. How can you be that good looking and be so down on yourself? It is such a complete turn off. So yes, I think that part is true. If man is not showing self-assurance and confidence, when they get the whole package, it's perfect. When a man is good looking and he is sure of himself, that's the perfect package for a woman. But trust me, when the combination shows up, when the looks are there, but the confidence is not there, and the man is completely submissive, and it has no energy in him to take charge of the room, or the woman, or the conversation, it is a huge turnoff for most women. Right? And yeah. this, is, this is the other dirty little secret, just to get, gain more hate mail from the people who are listening. This is the dirty <laughs> little secret of all the, all the feminist allies. All these boys holding up their signs, I am a feminist, I need feminism because. Nobody wants to fuck these boys. Not even the feminists, especially not even feminists. You will notice if you are out there uh, in the, you know, if you're observing what's happening, very quickly the feminists turn on these men as well. Mm. Very quickly they shoot them down and say, they, 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 they're not winning over any fans with the feminists, let me just put it that way. Right. Yeah. The feminine psyche does not respond very well to these submissive men. It just doesn't. Not in my observation. 
Yeah, it's funny. Uh, two days ago, I was talking with one of my feminists. She's from uh, the East Bay. Um, so she identifies as a social justice warrior. She and I argue a lot. We were good friends. We argue a lot about things like this. But she was confiding in me that she she really wants a guy who she sees as superior. And it goes everything against her ideals, but that's what she wants. Yeah. And, you know, this. I mean, this idea is... Uh... If you actually, you know, I really believe in the chakra system. And if, if, if you feel if you really just follow a more basic model, you can either go to the first chakra or you can go to the scientific route and go the path of the evolutionary biology theory and reasons why we have evolved the predilections we have. And we think we are very civilized. We think we are completely out of the jungle and out of the savanna. We aren't. We really aren't. In the evolutionary timeline, our modernity is like a fucking blip. Our psyche is not built on our modern living. Our psyche is built on tribal survival, on tribal warfare. Woman needs a man she can rely on to have her back. She needs a man whose strength she can rely on. So if, she, if a man does not kind of almost flick those switches in the female psyche, it, things don't work. No, no, no degree of reading the most staunch feminist, no, no degree of being a fan of Gloria Steinem is going to to obliterate those very basic primitive switches in our brain. And those switches are there for a good reason. They are literally there because they have worked towards survival, right? Mm -hmm. If there were two women in the past and one woman uh, was attracted to a weaker man and one woman was attracted to a stronger man who could protect her, guess which one survived? Right. <laughs> when, her, when your back is against the wall and life will put your back against the wall, you need strength on your side. You need people who can protect you. You need that aggression. And if you don't have it, you don't survive. Your children don't survive. So it's like, this is, a, this is not philosophy. This is not some bullshit we are pulling out of our ass. This is, not, this is really ingrained. This is observation, right? And the confusion only goes when we actually see these, make these observations, and we don't like their political ramifications. And we try to build a castle on the side here of sand saying, we are so evolved, we're going to define our own thing. And I'm like, you know what? I'm for that too. I'm like, do your experiment. Go for it. I really am not prejudiced. If I was observing, I swear to you, if I was observing that these feminist men are getting laid like gangbusters, that all the women are going fucking crazy over them like they're rock stars, I'd be like, hey, let's do this. Because I want to be successful with women. I want to do what works. Right. I really do. So I'm like observing and then theorizing. Yeah, so, so on that, uh, because I think the, the big, I, I always am looking for like the how-to here. Um, when you say, so I mean, you mentioned a few traits that are attached to it, the ability to strength, the ability to do violence. These are maybe, maybe things that don't apply to most guys in modern life. Um, I think they do. I think they do. I think they really do. I think we may think we are so fucking civilized, we aren't. We are so fucking civilized because we do live in a rather peaceful society. But if things fall down, men step up very quickly and their women expect their men to step up. Trust yeah, me. I, well, I think the, the medium for that is different now. What do you like, mean? Like, uh, we're not going to pick up a sword and shield, but we're going to fight <laughs> through words. You or may pick written. up a sword and shield. I really, you have more faith in our civilization than I do. I, you really think... There are always going to be men in blue and men in camouflage protecting us. And I'm like, not all the time. I'm saying it's great that we live in a civilized place, but if, if, there, if danger does come your way, 
I think it is very much in the masculine instinct to step forward into their protective roles, and I think their women expect them to. Yeah, well, I, I, what I'm saying is, is okay, that, that, of course, there's a possibility and society can break down at any point, but the way it's demonstrated in, in life I, is, uh, is not necessarily physical, um, but, but the same like uh, show of courage versus cowardice happens all the time, even in social media battles or things like that. Yeah. Um, I do think there's something, um, <laughs> like I've dated a lot of angry feminists who found me, who got through getting angry at something I said, like a conversation like this. Um, but there, I, I think it demonstrates certain qualities. So I'm curious, like how for for guys who are like, okay, I clearly do not top anyone. <laughs> I might have all these beta male characteristics. Uh, maybe I was holding an "I am feminist" sign in a march just so someone would, you know, go out with me. Like, yeah. what what do men do to learn how to top? Really, I I, t I always tell people in my classes, you want more power in life, assume more responsibility. I think that is a darker secret of men who are pretending to be all nice, whatever word you want to use, whether it's beta males, whether it's submissive men, I think what they're ultimately doing at their core is shirking responsibility. So hmm. if you want more power, you don't need to be a Neanderthal. You don't need to go get yourself a club or a gun. Assume more responsibility, and with that responsibility will come power. You handle people with your responsibility, and when you handle people well, that makes you powerful. That makes you a man of substance. So I don't care if you are the most mild-mannered person, if you take care of yourself, if you take care of the people around you, if you are reliable, if you can be counted on and you're not a pushover, that's power right there. You don't need really, you don't need to beat your chest or anything. Yeah, and that's kind of part of what's with the like kind of victim coddling culture of like a lot of the victim mentality is oh we don't need we're not we don't need responsibility like society no, so should take responsibility for us here's the dark really sewage level bullshit that is in feminism and also in the feminist men which is at their core they are whiners at their core they will always hold on to the narrative that somebody else has the power and they either need to be punished for having that power, they either need, to, either need to be overthrown for having that power, or I need to find a way for them to use their power to give me stuff. They are never gonna say, I am the one with power. That is the real shadow. You want power, just assume responsibility and with that will come power. Be the person who does things. Be the person who gets shit done. That's it. Stop the narrative that somebody else has the power and poor little me, all I can do is hold up this placard. Because that's the core narrative. That is the core blood-sucking core of the ideology. Somebody else has the power, and all I can do is bitch and whine here, or use power by proxy to get, get the person over there to give me shit. Yeah, it reminds me of like the stages of like starting with, which Jordan Peterson talks about a lot with making your own bed <laughs> to begin with. Exactly. Um, all, all the way to the other end is like when, uh, this is something I'm noticing more and more in recent years, like the more I teach stuff, the more competent I immediately become because now I'm responsible not only for my own path, but for other people's paths. So I better have my shit together. You know, you, know, you know how you can test that what women are truly attracted to? This is one key thing. It isn't your chiseled muscles. It isn't even your chiseled jaw. All of those things help. It isn't your aggressive manner. Let a woman observe you in the realm where you are really competent. Hmm. Competence makes women wet. 
Mm-hmm. Let a woman see you competent in this world. Let her see you masterful in this world. It doesn't even have to be in some really masculine field. You don't have to show her that you can hunt a deer and skin it alive or whatever other bullshit. Whatever your field is, be masterful in it and be be proud of it and display your mastery. And that mastery will attract other people. By the way, it'll attract both sexes. If men observe you in your mastery, they will follow you more easily. They will elect you their leader. They will trust you more. And when women observe you in your mastery, they will be attracted to you, just hands down. You know, one of the one of the most traditional, used to be more traditional way men were doing this, at least 10, 15, 20 years ago, was they were learning public speaking. There used to be a big trend, at least 15, 20 years ago. A lot of men I knew were taking classes and training in public speaking because some something about it, they needed it in life, they needed it in work, and they had also observed simply getting up in front of a people, even making a good toast, even making a good joke, even making a good speech, it just it just raises your attraction level. Yeah, it's interesting. In uh, in ancient Sparta, everyone knows that every man was like trained to fight with a spear and shield and all that. The other thing was vocal projection. That was the only other. That was the only art form allowed in their in their society. Oratory. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah. Having having the presence to hold other people, saying something worthwhile, so you can hold their attention. Yeah, displaying your ideas and your intelligence, being able to hold a conversation, all of that. It doesn't have to be Neanderthal kind of behavior. It doesn't have to be hunter and predatory kind of behavior. It simply has to be competence in your own realm, in your current world, right? And again, it's really lovely to see this at work. I have seen this work in like the sweetest ways. I have seen a wife almost fall in love with her husband all over again one time when she went and saw him give a lecture. He was a professor, he used to do presentation and their worlds were kind of apart. And one time she was in the audience when he was up there delivering a very, you know, very technical lecture, but holding the audience, seeing that the audience respected her husband, that he was an expert in the, in the field, that other people were deferring to him, that the other people were asking him questions and uh, respecting his answers. All of that was a turn on for the wife in a really kind of an old state relationship. All of a sudden, she said, she's, you know, she's sitting there in the back and all of a sudden, like, I really want to jump my husband's bones. And he's not out there holding up, you know, some leopard skin. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love this uh, stuff on work because um, yeah, so someone on Instagram last week asked me, uh, it was a guy, he's like, I, I just read The Way of the Superior Man. <laughs> what other books can you recommend on masculinity? And I'm like, oh, well, I mean, you know, I was like thinking, like, what, what have I even read? I haven't read anything. And I thought about the, the last book that really made me feel like a man was The One Thing which is just a productivity book about getting your shit done. It's really just like how to get your work done. <laughs> but I've never felt more like a man afterwards. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. So much of Jordan's uh, message is also is kind of both of these things. It, he's basically asking men to be more proactive, to be more productive, to be more competent, to not be this fucking harmless, useless guy who is just waiting for things to happen or who's not engaged. He's not telling people to get a, go aggressive or go hunting or take shooting lessons or any of that other bullshit, which all of that is fine, too. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But there isn't, like, any kind of a desire for return to any kind of a traditionalism or anything. 
The main call <laughs> is be competent, be engaged in your world, care about the people you know you say you care about, and just step up. Yeah. So, so other than work, I'm um, I'm trying to think now. Um, like, who, like what, what what is the what is everything a guy needs to know at least about topping? So I'm, I I can imagine a guy who does have his work life together, but still uh, is like the the model you mentioned who you know doesn't have the high self esteem or can't top anyone. Like, what what are the other qualities you would say? Assuming someone I, has I his birth. I don't together. believe there are any men out there who can't top anyone. I don't believe there are any men out there who are not who are incapable of dominating. At least the way I divide define domination. Well, I don't mean capable, but I mean guys who just aren't doing it. You know, I don't even buy that. Any any field in which you are competent, any field in which you have mastery and you are serving other people with your mastery, you're a dom. Mm-hmm. Serve. If you have no mastery in life, acquire some. Truly, if you feel you have absolutely no mastery in life, if you're not good at anything in life, not your work, not your job, you don't have a talent, really, uh, hurry up and acquire some mastery and then make that mastery useful to others. That's all it's about. Mm-hmm. Sexual dominance is no different. It is no different. Right, a, a, a DS dominant, a sexual dominant is not somebody who's just slapped on a leather vest and has declared himself a dominant. You, are, you need to have skills that your lovers want. Your lovers need to feel well held by you. Otherwise, they're not gonna come back. Your looks might sell them the first time. They may, they may be attracted to the package the first time, but if you have no skills at handling them, if you have no skills at moving their system in some pleasurable way, you're not going to get a second date. So really, sexual mastery is simply one subset of mastery. It is really no different from having mastery in the kitchen, from having mastery in, the, in the, your spoken word, in your written word, in your work, anything else. The structure is exactly the same. Are you good at something? And can you serve other people with your skill and your mastery? And if you are, that's the area where you're doming people. That's the area where you're topping people. That's it. Serve people with your mastery. That's my definition of domination. Hmm. But also emotional security. I mean, we've, we've talked about attachment theory ad nauseum at this point, right. but uh, that is something, obviously you can't dom anyone if you're, if hey, you get triggered. So here's again, if, if you have an area where you're masterful and you know you're masterful, you will be confident. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts, questions, feel free to jump in um, because I, I am hoping that these, I mean, this is a last minute um, you know, announcement. We just decided to do this this morning, but I'd love to hear your thoughts or questions. I, mean, I don't have any thoughts or questions. I'm, I am enjoying um, his rant and I think that's the overall discussion. Can you cool. hear me? What are we saying about mastery, about competence? Mastery, competence, yeah, security. And serve other people with your mastery and stop shortchanging yourself, at least in your area of mastery. So is it too simple to say uh, becoming, being able to top, being able to be a dominant male, if you will, just comes down to competence and security or just down to competence? If like there's one thing to give people, to give men? First thing is competence. Mm-hmm. If you don't have competence, it's your, your confidence is built on nothing. Mm-hmm. To me, confidence is nothing but repetitive competence that's all it is hmm. if you're good at something and you know you're good at it and you've done it a thousand times you'll be confident at it and that is earned confidence hmm. 
that's the way confidence is supposed to be built. It is not supposed to be built out of thin air. It is not supposed to be built out of bullshit. And everyone will test your confidence. So there better be something behind it. No one's going to buy you at face value. Not men, not women, not the people who are following you, not the nobody. No one's going to buy your snake oil if there isn't any substance behind it. You may fool them the first time. So unless you're planning on being a complete hustler, that all you're doing is you got a game that can fool people once, which I think is a rotten way to live. You better build some real competence and engage the world with that. I think that is an honest and a great way to live. And you will yeah. be of use to others. If you are of use to others, they will keep you around. Women will keep you around if you are of use to them. Yeah, but not, not in just uh, the holding a, a feminist sign kind of way. No, I think you're kind of actually useless if you're doing that, because at the instinctual level, women do feel this man is useless. Because mm -hmm. that yeah. is not the man she wants with her in the dark alley. Holding up a placard is not going to help. Yeah, I think what you said about being tested is so important because one thing that really irks me about like some of the men's rights stuff is the, the complaints around shit tests, complaints around women uh, testing or doing these irrational things, but like that's the only way to prove yourself. Women will test you. The nicest of women will test you. They don't even know you're, they're testing you. What gets old is if they keep testing you. Mm -hmm. What gets old is if you pass their test once, twice, thrice, and now it's the 20th time, then it's a bad investment. Get out of there. That yeah. woman is not interested in intimacy. That woman is interested in competing with her men or simply wanting to prove them wrong. That's a bad, that's a bad match. Yeah, yeah. So, so going back to the philosophical thread we were on earlier um, with uh, men and women competing uh, in, in hetero relationships, um, I don't know if we could find a root for it, or but like, what should a man do uh, in in such a relationship, or what can a couple do other than? I mean, you wouldn't just say, "Oh, you need to bottom to the other person." I do. I absolutely do. <laughs> I do because control freaks need to surrender more than anyone else. What, being obsessively competitive with your partner is a form of control, and control is a is basically a bulwark against not wanting to surrender. It's a cheap trick. It's a very consistent and effective, but a very cheap trick to say, I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to surrender. But deep down, I want to. Deep down, I want you to make me surrender. If you don't make me surrender, I will also judge you. If you can't make me surrender, you're weak. But I'm not going to surrender. I think that's a bad, it's a bad uh, setup to be in. It's a really yeah, it's an unwinnable game. It's an unwinnable game, and people are playing unwinnable games, and they're playing it in one relationship after the other. And the only thing you can do is simply we literally put a grenade in the middle of that and say, you got to cut this shit out. I mean, how much more longer do you want to do this shit? It's not working. Try something else. So would you say, I don't know if there's a prescription here, but do you say, I mean, do you tell men to not accept the lack of submission? Like that, that almost seems, I, when I say it out of my mouth that way, it sounds almost. I tell men not to take shit from their women endlessly. Really, you need to quit that woman if all that woman is doing is competing with you and putting you down and emasculating you. It's a bad match. You know what I mean? Do not give your commitment to somebody who does not appreciate your commitment. Cut your losses and move on and find somebody else who wants your competence, who wants your strength. If you're being punished for your good qualities, you are in a shitty relationship. Get out. Mm. Not every relationship is rescuable. Really, there isn't. There are plenty of poisonous people who are not really interested in pair bonding fairly and evenly and lovingly. 
I've met plenty of those people. I'm sure you have too. I'm not saying every yeah. man is rescuable. I'm not actually saying every person is cut out for pair bonding. People have to do their own work. And if you are simply interested in destroying human beings with your patterns, then you're poisonous. Get out of those relationships. That And that, you know, that also may be part of the ultimate shit test that men have to undergo. They have to be willing to walk away. Yeah. That also is a switch in the female psyche. How many stories, Ruan, how many stories have we lived through and have we heard of men finally getting fed up with a woman and they finally break up and then the woman basically crawls back on her knees? Right. <laughs> what was the trigger? What was the trigger? Did the man change? The only thing the man did differently was he drew a line. And he mm -hmm. said, no, I am worth more than your bullshit. And that yeah. his worth in her eyes. That was like the trigger she needed. That was the switch that needed to flick in her brain. Like, oh, I actually can't push him around endlessly. He actually does have a backbone. And usually if a man is, has reached that point, it's because he has not displayed that limit, that boundary early on in the relationship. Mm. Right? And it's pretty much created a hell for him for years. If he had done that in the third week of his relationship, when that bullshit showed up the first time, when she disrespected him the first time, and he should have just looked at her and said, you do that one more time, and I think we're a bad match. Mm. He put up with a lot of shit for a long, 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 long time, and the, and the level of misery just keeps increasing until the man basically breaks. Yeah, it reminds me of what we were talking about um, from Nicole, uh, the whole thing of a woman will try to buy you at the lowest price she can get. Yeah. That's, yeah. uh, that's, really, that's, I think, a true aspect of the dark feminine. But I think that applies a lot more. It probably applies at every level, but it certainly applies a lot more right at the beginning of a relationship. Mm -hmm. I have seen women basically go through this metric. Like, how much does this man think he's worth? Right? Yeah. And, and the whole time. Yeah, good. And they will try, you know, it's not, they're not just going to rely on your metric, but they will certainly take your metric of yourself into account. Right. If, if they see a man who does not seem to be worth that much, let's just say, but he holds himself like he's worth a lot, at least he will draw some curiosity from women. Women will be curious, like, why is this man so sure of himself? Why is this man so at ease and so confident? What's he got? Let's investigate. And then they need to make sure there is substance behind your confidence. But... If there is no confidence and you're willing to sell yourself cheap, they will buy you at the cheaper price. Yeah, and not value you, of course, <laughs> because they got it for cheap. And to some degree, yeah, I think women are great bargainers. Women are great hagglers. They're natural hagglers. They're not going to give away more than you demand of them. And quite yeah. frankly, their, their biggest fantasies are about a very high-value man who demands everything of them. If you look at the penultimate romantic vision, that women have in all their novels, it's a difficult man. It's a difficult man who's worth it. Right? Their heroes are not easy men. Their heroes are real pains in the asses. But they're worth it. They deserve to be pain in the asses. Well, I have to write that down. It's <laughs> too good. Uh, <laughs> Aren't you recording this thing? I know, but I mean, I don't listen to the whole thing. <laughs> These things go an hour. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like with uh, even with I mean, going back to topping, maybe in the more general sense, even with like the parent-child relationships, kids really want boundaries. Like the kids who have the freedom usually end up going crazy 
when they're really young because they want they want to know where they can play. They want to know where they can be told no. You know, in one of the conversations we had like a year ago, we we touched briefly on this idea that I think there are three virtues that are true virtues, but they're all overrated. Mm-hmm. One of them is justice. Second one is equality, and third one is freedom. And we think these justice, these virtues are infinitely virtuous. They are not. I think they they actually have a very limited parameter within which they function well. And freedom is one of them. We test ourselves with freedom. We test each other with freedom, and we need to know where the limits are. We don't want infinite freedom. We really yeah. don't. Infinite freedom is chaos. I mean, that's just theory. Infinite freedom is where there are no rules and nothing gels together, and the universe can be up and down at the same time at any moment. That is complete nightmarish chaos. That would be like the definition of hell, that there are absolutely no rules, and there's nothing you can rely on. That's complete freedom. Nobody wants that. Yeah, I see that even with like entrepreneurs, like the biggest thing stopping them from taking action is having too many options. <laughs> then you give them a, a binary choice and suddenly they can move forward. Right. You give them parameters. Having choices in the beginning of the game is great, but the whole point of the game is you start eliminating your choices. Any game is built, any empire is built when you start limiting your choices. You say, I can do 10,000 things, but what's the one thing I'm going to focus on? And when you focus on one thing, you limit your freedom. Yeah, back to my favorite book of the year, The One Thing. Um, And by the way, that's the same nightmare we are in right now. So I'm going to say something that really is going to make the feminist shoes fly at my face. You ready? Mm -hmm. I think the women of today are not some, you know, the narrative on the feminist side is oppression, 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 oppression. Stop oppressing us. You fucking white men, stop oppressing us. I'm going to declare the problem with today's women is not that there's too much oppression. The problem is there's too much freedom. Hmm. I think the modern woman is suffering from an access of freedom. Wow. Yeah, bull birds. (laughs) Run for cover. (laughs) Get a helmet. She has so many choices, and she does have choices. She has so many choices that she is absolutely excruciatingly fucking miserable and never being able to land anywhere because she is just playing the choices. She's flicking and flicking and flicking on that Tinder app, hopping on one cock after the other because she has so much fucking choice and she is lonely and she's fucking miserable. Mm. And then she wonders, why does no one commit to me? Which means, why does some man out there does not pick me as his limiting of his freedom choices while Mm. I just keep doing the bullshit I'm doing at my end? It is truly a stupid and nightmarish scenario once you actually look into it, what the problem is. The problem is not that the world is oppressing you. The world is kind of done oppressing the Western woman. Nobody has the balls to say anything to the Western woman anymore. Everyone is terrified. Everyone is terrified to comment on even the fucking skirt you're wearing, let alone your sexual choices, right? Mm -hmm. No one can tell women anything these days. So you have so much freedom, you have so much choice, and you're not happy. I wonder if the two are correlated somehow. I'd imagine, yeah, I never thought about that, but I'd imagine they are. Um, So so Justin has a question, so I'm gonna unmute him. Uh, Hold up, okay. Go for it, Justin. Thanks, and uh, I just wanted to touch the suffering, their freedom, that that, I never thought of it like that, but that's a phenomenal point. Um, Just a few minutes ago, you said that um, a superhero is, a man who's a pain in the ass to the woman, but he's worth it. Uh, I just wanted to ask if you could 
clarify what exactly about it is it worth it for her to go through that pain and headache uh, to be with him? Ultimately, his competence. Look at women's fantasies. Look at women's romance novels. Look at even the shitty Fifty Shades of Grey. Look at the hero in there. He can ring her bell like nobody else. He turns her on like nobody else. He has given her the best fucking sex of her life. She trembles in his hands, in his arms. Her pussy is basically his to command. He is that good at handling her sex. And that's what keeps her in. So even as difficult as he is, his competence, his ability to handle her and to bring her joy and pleasure is what keeps her there. And, and to that degree, it's a very logical choice. It, um, don't, don't you think the causality goes both ways? I don't even know which way the causality goes, because I think one thing, and maybe Justin was pointing at this, like the fact that you're difficult is the turn on also. Um, like the fact that uh, the, the lack of availability almost creates the perception of, of com uh, confidence. I think, I think there is a correlation almost because usually they go together. If a woman truly finds a man who is very difficult but absolutely provides no value to her, I don't think she's going to stick around. But if she does see a man who seemed to present himself as very high value, she's at least going to be curious to see, well, let's find out where his value is. And I think that's the trigger that so many of the pickup artists have, have stumbled upon and they use, but I think they use it well only to get laid the first time. If they actually have nothing to back that up, if they actually are not good at, good at handling our system, good at engaging her emotionally, or they actually have no skills in bed, even those women are not coming back the second time. Women are not idiots. They, women will find you out. So if you have a big, strong cover, but nothing to back it up, women are going to find that out very quickly. It's their job. Women are lie detector tests as far as we are concerned. Yeah, it's like the whole like necking thing. It's just a behavior. That, like, teasing is a behavior that really confident men have because they don't care about offending someone by accident. Um, but then, uh, so like a lot of the pickup techniques, they're trying to uh, emulate that just on the surface, but then it doesn't go anywhere. But then if uh, that's all you have, then you're kind of kind of obnoxious guy without any assets. And that I don't think that can go very far. Yeah. Uh, Justin, did you have anything else? Uh, no, that, that was it right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, feel free to jump. I'm just going to mute you because uh, the background was cool. So where, where were we? We were on something else also. also um, feminism. Oh, freedom. Too much freedom. Yeah. So, so topping in many ways is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just like controlling the game, making the game smaller. And um, I think, I think that's why a lot of people get drawn. I mean, like talking cults and stuff, people get drawn into these communities because they, they make the world a lot smaller and, and it feels safer. And I guess in many ways, uh, that's what uh, being in the presence of a top does. Like it makes it, 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 it makes everything um, more accessible. Because like, like for instance, with people, we can't we can't connect with a thousand people, but we can connect with a small community that, that runs by certain rules. And it's like the community becomes our, our dom, our daddy in a way. I agree with you, but I think your concepts feel a little all over the place to me. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I was thinking of what makes a person surrender. And maybe I jumped around a bit. What makes people surrender is their self-interest. You want people mm -hmm. to surrender to you, make it fun for them, and make it in their best interest to surrender to you. This is why, again, go back to competence. Be of use to somebody. Be of use to them, and they will surrender to you. This doesn't have to be rocket science. We are doing this all the time. If you trust your dentist and you've got a toothache, you're going to go into your dentist's office, you're going to sit down in the chair, 
and you're going to sit there quietly while he pulls out a big fucking grill and puts it in your mouth. You're going to surrender to his competence or her confidence, competence, because you need them and they are serving you. And you will do what they tell you to do because it's in your best interest. Simple as that. We are selfish creatures. No one is actually doing anything for your sake. Nobody surrenders to you for your sake. They surrender for their own sake. They surrender because by doing so, they are getting a ride which they cannot create for themselves. And one of the best ways to see this is in the DS realm. A good dom will take a submissive places the submissive cannot take herself. That's the dom's use. That's the dom's utility. That is a dom's mastery. If you have mastery and you can create that positive change in somebody's psyche, they will experience it once, they will have a good time, and they will come back for more. And they will go tell all their girlfriends about it. Hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think, so I think this is a, a really important topic to speak about, uh, given political climate and all that. And and uh, I, I mean, this is something I wish I heard, you know, obviously as a teenager, which is true of many things that we, we learn as adults. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this really covered uh, the whole topping bit quite well. Um, did you have anything else uh, you wanted to say on topping before we close? I would just repeat the same mantra. Build your confidence on top of your competence. Do not subscribe to the bullshit notion that confidence is some kind of a personality trait, that confidence is putting on airs, that confidence is dressing in bright colors. That is not what real confidence is. First, acquire some competence. Mm. And don't sell yourself short. If you are competent at something, just, you know, be proud of it. You don't need to be an asshole about it. But if you're good at something, stick by it. Say, yes, I'm really good at this one thing. Whatever it is. And, and if you, as far as relationships goes, as far as man-woman relating goes, acquire sexual competence. Take some lessons. Learn some rope. Come take a class. Learn how to handle women's bodies with competence and when you do that enough times you will automatically have sexual confidence it will not be an air you put on it will simply be track record mm -hmm. that's it that's all confidence needs to be and you don't need to advertise it trust me when you have that competence under your belt when you have that track record you hardly need to do anything at all to even advertise it people will just see it in you you will radiate it and that's what you perceive. When you perceive competence in somebody, even the even the pickup artist will tell you the the you know if the if you're being really loud about it, it gives you away. Real mm -hmm. confidence is very quiet. Yeah, rich man doesn't need to tell you he's rich. Uh, so speaking of workshops, is there anything you want to plug coming up? I have a workshop in Austin in February first and second. After that, I'm heading to Phoenix to teach with the amazing Laurie Handlers. We have a workshop we have taught all over the world. Tantra meets BDSM. It's really great. And after that, I'm heading to London and the third week of February to teach my uh, new curriculum, the first class in my new curriculum, which is titled Taking the Sexual Path to Awakening. It teaches sexual skills and it kind of bridges it with really the spiritual aspect, which to me have kind of become inseparable. Awesome. You said that's uh, in the spring? It's in February, and then I have many more classes all over Europe in summer, spring and summer. All the information is on my website, omrupani.org. All the information is there. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I might actually be in Phoenix still in February. I'm going to go visit Laurie 
over Perfect. the winter, I think. Um, awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, Om. I think this is great. Uh, this will be up soon. Let me know all the shows that are held at you. <laughs> all right. Deal. All right. Bye. Yeah, thanks everyone who's listening. Um, yeah, if you have any questions, you can, I'm gonna put this up in the Masculine Underground group. If you have any questions for Ohm or myself, you can just comment on, on the link. He's in the group as well. All right, I'll see you guys uh, the next one. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you wanna catch the rest of my work, go to ruwando.com. Catch me on social media, at Ruwando, and please do not forget to subscribe.